0: Today's uh, Sunday session, it's uh, water lore and divination. I have a pendulum here. Um, so this is going to come into the story. This is a uh, alder. This is some alder wood, got a bit of quartz on the end. So I'm going to talk about this. But even as a little child, because members of the family, uh, father's family, they would use pendulums for everything. And... Uh, I, I used to use them on maps and put it over the maps and ask questions. And I'd be looking at places and one of my favorite places of these antiquities were the holy wells. And I must admit my uncle, my uncle Cecil, who ended up cycling with me on a Sunday as a guardian because once he knew I was going off by myself on this little bike, uh, was absolutely horrified. But out of all the places we went, he loved the wells. Um, And when we would get to them, I was fascinated because to me, there was a magnetism. uh, It was very much a divination. You look into the well and I think you start dreaming. Uh, Anybody here I'm sure is watching, if you've been to a holy well, it just captures you, draws you in. uh, And uh, you can't really put it into words. It's a very peaceful, very blessed, very much a sanctuary moment. And I would arrive, and the first thing I would do was go into this sort of quiet peace, dreaming, full of wonder, you know, for a six-year, seven-year-old child, to be quiet, uh, looking into a pool of water. And there would be my uncle Cecil. He'd be going around looking for twigs, and he would hope that there was hazel. He generally ended up with willow. But he'd be looking for hazel, because once upon a time, uh, it was really Hazel's, at uh, these holy wells, as we call them now, sacred wells, much more than the hawthorn that you see there now, sometimes holly. And I'll be talking about those a bit later. But to bring this all together, I mentioned Hazel, because Hazel is going to be a very important part of this, even though I showed you a pendulum with older. Um because there was a story Uh, that I first got a drift of in Scotland, and strangely enough, I actually got a continuation of the story from an Aborigine person. Uh, Excuse me, uh, there's a mating, uh, the bullfinches are just above having a bit of mating there. Bit late, isn't it? Anyway, to continue, uh, there was an Aborigine, it was in the Blue Mountains in Australia, and he started telling me this story and he picked it up from Ireland. He told me a couple of stories he picked up from Ireland because it was part of a project that they had to go around the world picking up stories because of all the countries that were taken over during colonialism, the Australians lost their stories much more than anyone else. They were looking at the traditions around the world in order to rebuild their stories. So this sort of comes out of that tradition where I picked up from Scotland and also, it's le- I haven't really heard it told in Ireland since I first heard it in Donegal, which I think was in the early 80s. And this is the story, it's one of these creation stories that uh, Adam and Eve isn't the only creation story, obviously. And it's one we're brought up with. And there are wonderful uh, stories like the kayak on a boat who uh, wonders where the land is. I think I'll tell that in another. Uh, story and but this one is about the the goddess that's the hazel tree that emerges from the sea and She's got this huge trunk and she's got the roots as she comes onto the shore and inside these roots is full of serpents and inside the trunk is full is a womb full of the life of everything about to be born on the land this was her first arrival uh, on the land in order to survey the land, would climb up the hills, climb up the mountains. She would find the swallow holes, a bit like when, uh, it reminds me a bit of the puffins, when they come ashore and they're looking for their nests, which are kind of holes on the cliffs and that's where they come back to year after year. But with this hazel goddess, she would appear... Looking for what we call the swallow holes, and she would entrench herself in these swallow holes, and the water from her it was literally she would sort of pee down every uh, swallow hole, and at the same time, a womb would open, and all this life would uh, come out, the serpents first. And the serpents would then swim through the land and form the flow that the rivers the water would fall and that's the formation of the rivers and uh, the distribution of water that allowed the fertility for all life to grow. Now you're probably uh, familiar with the uh, Yggdrasil, the Norse mythology of the tree of life and when a lot of people think of this or they see the stories or hear the stories they hear of it being an oak because of the sturdiness of the oak the height of it uh, and the strength and the endurance similar for an ash sometimes they talk of an ash sometimes it's apple apple because of the fact that apple sustains life sustains nourishment so those are the three but the oak over years it seemed to have become a favorite because it has a kind of metaphor a spirit for justice and balance so a lot of people like to think of the tree of life being a place of justice and balance. But I firmly believe myself, because of the various stories of the origins of water, uh, that the tree of life is really the hazel, the hazel goddess that came from the sea and went to the hills and allowed the water to go down the swallow holes, ventured down into what was a well that was formed. And as you're familiar, with these sacred holy wells that the water does actually go down the swallow hole, goes down the hill, goes down the mountain, goes to the underworld, flows through the underworld. And it can go for a long way, deep, deep down. And then somehow the pressure pushes it up and it comes out amongst the rocks as pure water chelated with all of the minerals, some of the minerals it passed because uh, it, water is ionic and it's deprived of oxygen so it can actually pull these minerals that becomes part of the water so there you do have uh, the healing waters and imagine the, uh, in ancient times obviously we take it for granted that we have taps and water systems and mains water or we might have uh, rainwater collection and we do have wells because that's another type of well people dig down uh, into the soil, into the rocks, and of course they actually use dowsing for this purpose to find out where to go down. So they are man-made wells, but these are natural. And what a gift these would be to the people. That we need water to live. When you become senior, a bit like myself, seventy percent of of yourself is water. And i do believe the water is your life it is your memories it is your access it's your communication with conscience a whole valuable thing and the hazel goddess and i actually am not familiar with a specific name this is so such a vague story on it but it said that she she had three big main roots and they stood in three wells and we have the dragon well and anytime we talk of dragons in folklore and mythology, it tends to be related to birth and the bringing of birth. Like I was saying, those serpents, which is related to the dragons, of going down the swallow holes and then carving the twisty channels through the land that the water would follow. Uh, In various parts of Ireland, specifically Wrathcrawl, for instance, uh, the Ornagoth Cave, uh, some of the stories from there are related to serpent, or a snake, or a dragon in various forms. It starts from there and it goes through the land. And by the time it gets to the hill of Keshir, here, uh, uh, and it gets to the center in it, within uh, the Morinokorakuen, uh, that uh, the spirit of the the Morinokorakuen, Morinokorakuen, it's like a spell on this fiery serpent And it becomes water, and that is the water that flows. So there's variations. But so you have the dragon well. And the dragon well I know uh, really is the fluctra, the fire inside the water. Uh, The stories that I tell of here, uh, Adoy the Dagda story of him bathing uh, in the waters within the hill that got warmer and water and then at the time of the winter solstice It's actually a heat that it becomes at one and the Faluctra Starts grand conception. So the dragon well being the site of the heat From the dragon in the water for the grand conception the first well And then one that most people seem to know about is Mima's well the second one and that being the well of life, and it's as, it's kind of teaching us, uh, showing us that life is a sequence of vision, a sequence of vision through which we build our wisdom. And Odin, uh, even though a god himself, felt that he didn't have all the wisdom and knowledge of the world, so he sort of begged with the goddess there could he have the whole vision uh, from this water and he even donated an eye as an offering so that the other eye and his inner eye would be the receptor uh, of the vision you know what is the vision quest of your life but in a simpler form, I've told stories in previous Sunday sessions about the well where women come to, and they're in, looking into it. Sometimes it's at Imbolc, depending on the area. Sometimes it's on uh, Eve of uh, Beltane, Look into the water, the water of the well, looking for the mate that they're actually going to become at one with at that time. But the third well is the Well of Urd. I think that is the Norse expression of it. And there are various stories you'll hear in Ireland or Scotland. You go to a whale and you meet the three hags. And the three hags generally obviously have three different names. Quite often they're representative of fire, water and the earth. Or the earth being rocks. And these three hags together, the most common story is that they are the three hags of the Morrigan. I talk of the Mornakorakuen. But this is a worldwide story about these three hags. Uh, I think in Norse mythology, they are of the past, present and the future. But the way I look at it is the third well. We've had the birth, we've had the vision, the vision quest of life. And uh, now we have, uh, if it was in astrology, it'd be like the North Node in a way. It's where, it's like the equivalent of so on. It's the end of the time in our light our life it's time to return to the underworld and go through that circle to come back out as a birth so this is where the debris like you have in the fall and the autumn goes into someone so this is where the debris uh enters and uh through the well and uh, gets transformed, regenerated into what's going to become the life before. It's the recycling plant. And uh, the way I kind of think of it, yes, the well of herd, it could well be the well of turd. So that's the... um, uh, One thing through this, talking about the hazel coming out, is water is... It's the woman. Water is the woman. It's the female. It's the mother. I will be coming up with a future Sunday session of the um, Ashlings and the Green Man. And I'll be going into this quite a bit more, uh, especially the symbolism of the Green Man, which also I feel has a great hazel connection, but because I'm moving through time very quickly now, let's move that one to the Ashlings and Green Man, of the hazel connection uh, to that. But water being uh, the mother, it is uh, where the birth takes place. It's the womb being uh, full of water. It's the carrier of life. I firmly believe that as we go through our vision quest and the experience and the knowledge and the devotion, everything we have just gets collected into that water and eventually it'll be dispersed through that well of earth, wherever that might be. Because whenever we pass away, water disperses from our body and it rejoins all the other water as well. Um, So, in a lot of stories, you'll find that it's traditional. It seems that women are always the ones that go down to the well to collect the water for the family. Even here with Cormac, um, when his mother went to the well, which is now called Cormac's well, below the Hill of Keish, that the wolves came down and took a baby, Cormac, took him up to the caves, and there he lived for a couple of years, uh, being raised by the wolves before he became a chieftain of the area, and not long after that becomes uh, quite a, the most amazing, famous hikings of Ireland. But that's just one example of a woman at the well. So there they are, they collect the water of the well, and it's not through dominance, it's not a patriarchal thing of... I get the woman to collect the well, she's got the stronger back. It isn't really that, maybe it did turn into that, but it's really their connection. When you have the, like a balance of the yin and yang, it's the women that looked after the water. It's, it's their realm. Uh, it's the birth and the wisdom. And I've mentioned that when women are there, they take advantage of being by the well to actually look to the well for the visions. If they're single, then they're looking for the mate. If you uh, have a mate in the family, then it's, it could be questions that they're asking about the family. Maybe it's illness, maybe it's harvest. Now, what are they doing there? It's divination. It's a form of divination. Um, Nostradamus is famous for his bowl of water in a lot of the stories. So why look into the water? Because one of the things that comes, I talk about the hazel. One thing it said that the hazel contains, and this is all around the world, that this is where the little people emerge from. It can be the dyads, uh, what's it in Greece? The nymphs. And here uh, we have the fairies, we have the fae. we have the she, that emerge from the water. So the divination is like a personal calling to these people of the underworld as a kind of divination with the question that we have. And the stick to that is the question. It might not be looking for an answer. It's taking notice of the vision that comes uh, from that well. The well being as a place where women can meet their mentor. But there's various stories as I've lived in various parts of the country that uh, there is a guardian of the well. And it depends where, you know, I've lived in Yorkshire, was down in Somerset and lived uh, quite a while in Scotland. And certainly in Ireland. And one of the things that's said that if you come up, if I come up with all these different stories, these characters, uh, some of the traditionalists, they say, ah, stick to the traditions of your home place, uh, stick to the traditions of where you come from. Yeah, you know, that what you're saying is not traditional. And if you think about it, the, the nationalism, the national boundaries of Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, they're not that old. They're only a sort of few hundred years. The Normans, I suppose, started it. But before they were actual nations, uh, there were tribes. There were clans. Clans would get together. so, And there was sort of an organic movement. The, uh, the stories would share. So, in some ways, if I tell a story that sort of mixes that up, it could be too old to be traditional. I had this once. Um, there was a beautiful song I picked up. I think it was... Uh, from the 14th century and uh, there were some traditional singers and musicians and I introduced this song to them and they were sort of um yeah they were analyzing and they say oh, it's no good for us it's too old to be traditional because their tradition sort of goes back 200 years and that's uh that's as far as it goes that's traditional <laughs> anyway the tree the hazel tree yeah often with um very sacred things there's there seems to be guardians, guardians of the tr- woods, guardians of the mountains, guardians of leaders, even. And sometimes they can't be seen. Sometimes they're a god or a goddess. And so you've got the well, and you've got the tree, hazel, and the guardian, the coo. And uh, the first I heard of this was, was when I was going to the First Wells, which was in Yorkshire. And there the guardian was Mel Shtick. With these guardians, they're not actually standing by the well. You go to the well and there's the hazel and you see the hazel tree with its nuts. And there's always the temptation that you want to pick the nuts before they're even ripe. But the guardian is there to make sure that nobody picks the nuts until they are ripe because the salmon, the salmon of knowledge, has yet to come up and they get the first pickings and some of the birds do as well so as to protect from that, and so the melch Stick was big and tall. And as it was told, you know, when you're at the well, sometimes you feel the was on your back and hairs on your arms, they lift up as if something is around, and you look behind you. You look behind you, and there's the big melch Shtick. My first job was in Somerset, and over over in Somerset, They had a similar character, but he was Peter Piddle. Now, Peter Piddle was a little bit different. He was a little bit friendlier, not so scary. He was a great scrumpy drinker. Scrumpy being the leftover apples made into a rough cider. Wonderful stuff. Absolutely wonderful. So he'd drink a lot of this. And if you drink a lot of scrumpy, the one thing you're going to do is a lot of piddling. So he was Peter Piddley, And uh, he was piddling into the water that's coming out of the well, because the scrumpy, the apple, the dreamy apple scent would go down the water and it would attract the salmon to come up. And in Dorset today, there is actually a River Piddle. So maybe that's the river that Peter Piddle went into. So uh, the next was certainly up to Scotland and there there was the Heer uh Hinda Din. It was the most gross of them all he was really the big one he was the big shadow and uh, the actual translation the hind it became hind and uh, i always think you know behind uh comes from that and scotland actually uh is a source of a lot of the content of pantomimes and you know that in the pantomime we've got the big dark bad person that's comes behind the good person, look behind you, look behind you, and that's the den look behind you. Now the thing with Hind, uh, he was a crooked in, uh, man, so there was means of escape, uh, we got hind legs, but he was crooked, and so if he was behind you and you looked and there was the tin, you could run because he, because of his poor gammy leg, he wouldn't ever catch up with you. But he was there, even so, uh, as the protector. If you're familiar with uh, Scottish stories, you might be familiar with the story of Hinderton and the Lady Margaret. What you may be more familiar with is Tamlin from Shoshire, Sc- uh, Wales, Tamlin and the Fair Janet. Similar story, uh, where a woman is being lured uh, by this guardian of the hazel into the underworld. Boy, the time is running away with me, isn't it? And I hope you don't mind staying on an extra ten minutes, because I want to get on to a little bit of the dowsing. Anyway, the one thing about these characters, these coup, these guardians of the hazel, it was the men that were more scared of them. When the women were there, and they were looking at the visions for the mate, this was the, again, look, this was the fairy lover. Yeah, and of course the men are not, perhaps not looking for the fairy lover. So they get whisked away and this is what happened to Fair Janet and Lady Margaret. They went into the underworld. Now in Ireland, there is a similar character. But it comes up in a similar way as perhaps the Tour de Donne. The Tour de Donne we know as fairy folk. that were half fairy, half human. And they were kind of overseen or were birthed from Danu, the goddess. And uh, in Ireland, it's not so much told of, it's in the Lieber Gabala Aaron, about uh, Bia. And Bia actually arrived here. Well, he didn't didn't arrive here. It was the tradition of Bia that arrived here. Because he was the father of Miletius. And Miletius you perhaps are familiar with, and I was talking about it, was it last week in the... Sunday sessions about the Malaysian Sons of Mill uh, coming ashore and they came from Iberia and the place in Iberia interestingly is Galicia, and these people that came uh, ashore uh, became known uh, as the Gales. And uh, the whole thing with Galicians and the Gales is that they have a woodland and a forest tradition. Uh, they are said to be the ones that arrived here with uh, a language of trees. And it was that language of trees that was mixed with the symbolism that was brought by the other sort of Celtic bunch, uh, the Gaulish bunch that had the symbols, the Picts, uh, the Breton people, the Welsh. And the whole thing merged together. And uh, we have all, but I'm going to talk about that again in more depth another uh, Sunday session. But this Billy was actually a guardian of the Hazel, Even there is a place of wisdom. And one thing I perhaps haven't said, if you go to Scotland, hazels are abundant, or they used to be bushes, hedges, everywhere. Huge yields of hazelnuts. And people try not to be tempted to pull uh, the hazels when they were unripe. Uh, Otherwise, in the den would be behind you. Even on Orkneys they grow. But anyway, I go back to the uh, beer. And it has a, a Scottish connection too, because not only was he in Malaysia, but he had a, a son called Foot, And foot uh, that's kind of more of an Egyptian name. So, it's a kind of, uh, so where that comes about, I don't know. There, there's various stories that link these Galatia people with Egyptians, but I don't even cover that so much. But the son Foote uh, was said not to come to Ireland, but he went to Scotland. And uh, He went to a place called Morroch Doida, and you quite often hear me say when I talk of stories here of the Dagda, I often call the Doida because the Dagda is the Doida in Scotland, and being the Doida is the actual son of the Doidach. The Doidach is the equivalent of uh, like the kayak, although they have the kayak in Scotland, but it's the the life in the pool within the hill. So he lands in... uh, an island, it's said to have been an island, Morocco. One of the stories of that is it's actually on the Isle of Mole, and there's a wonderful place called the Berg. It's quite a long hike, I think it's about a 14 mile hike from where you park the car. and there, But there's some caves with waterfalls, and when I used to do retreats, we used to go behind the waterfall and sleep overnight before we went back. And down there, uh, McCulloch's. Um, Fossil tree is there, McCullough, and the person who discovered it. And I believe that's a hazel, too. Uh, just interesting bit of symbolism. But the one thing about the uh, Mork doider is that he took a piece of turf. Now, this doider uh, uh, is said to be also the generator of truth, and if you take a, a, a turf from the berg and you place it somewhere, If someone tells a lie, the turf turns itself over. So it's said that Ford actually took a piece of this turf and he brought it to Ireland and it was either deposited uh, either on the hill of Rishnick or a hill of Tara. not sure. It's a very vague story. Uh, It's a folklore story. I don't think it's in any of the scribes, the famous ones anyway. But uh, it's said that it was very important because these are places, uh, the hill of uh, Yishnuk and especially Tara, places of council. And uh, with council, um, you, you open your heart, uh, especially between clans, and it's about telling the truth to negotiate. And so there was this doida's piece of turf uh, would be laying on a stone there. And if anybody turned told a lie when they were in council, they said they were turned over. And that's how you recognize they t- uh, told a lie. Uh, just imagine it now if, uh, if that stigle existed and it was on a stone in the middle of the Irish Short Parliament uh, in the Doyle. Imagine if it was there, it'd end up getting up and doing an Irish dance. So the beer, it, it carried its strength. This was the guardian. This was the mother tree. This was the tree of life. And every tribe, every clan especially, had their tree of life. And it would either be at a well or it would be at an estuary because of the preciousness of rivers. Obviously, I've not got no time to talk of water folklore in, in locks and rivers uh, this time. But there's two that are certainly very famous. Uh, one up in Lagan, up in the north. Uh, and up there was the uh, which was the secret tree of uh, the... Estuary of the Lagan, and uh, I probably didn't pronounce it right there. They were Belfast, so if you go up to Belfast, if you hear the Belfast people, they're still saying Belfast, something like that. Anyway, that's a famous one. Uh, and then you've got the Kakak, uh, which is down in the Sh- Shannon, Estuary of the Shannon, on uh, Scattery Island. This was uh, a saint, Saint Sinan, uh, took residence there, uh, took retreat there in 534 uh, AD, I believe, and he made it completely a men's sanctuary, uh, certainly a patriarch. And whilst he was there, there were people farming there and living there, but their they did their water was running out where they preserve the water. I gather they had the other wells, and it was running out. It was running out, and they went into a drought. And that drought, like me, they were getting very thirsty. So it was up to him, you know, he was the kind of bishop, uh, the leader of this, and what was he going to do to provide the water? Well, they had hazels on the island, and uh, so he got a, a wide hazel stick, and he dug it in, and he started digging and digging, and he dug a big hole and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and it went deeper and deeper because he believed and uh, I think he probably had used this hazel to try and divine like people do trying to find water and this was where somehow his conscience was saying yes there's water down here so he was using that stick that he had been doing his divining with to actually create this hole because if he's using the stick then that's going to encourage the water had come along but it went deeper and deeper and deeper and there was no water and he was frustrated and he gave up this. and he just stuck that rod beside this hole and just disappeared and then the following morning he came to the hole and there it was crystal clear water and the stick was left his hazel rod that he got was left there and, of course, that became a hazel tree. The cure the sacred hazel, which apparently by this well on Scattery Island there was there for hundreds of years. I gather and there are records of that. And the island never went without water. Now, an interesting thing is thinking of the word hazel itself. A uh, Hazel, hissel. It's hissel. It's a sort of Germanic, Saxon word. And it's... It kind of is a description as a baton of wisdom. So uh, people with walking sticks, and I have had them in the past with Hazel, they're carrying the baton of wisdom uh, to aid them uh, on their uh, vision quest of life. Uh, and this was something that was firmly believed in, I've mentioned before, W.B. Yeats, uh, of how uh, he believed so much in the tree of life Uh, being the uh, Hazel and he would come up with a trinity saying that the Hazel was the bringer of poets, of vision, and of our wisdom. Now I'm going back to Scotland again because uh, in fairy tales Hazel often appeared in the old fairy tales and then they sort of disappeared. I said I've already mentioned about the dark figure Behind you, look behind you. You know that that comes back from the Scottish tradition with poor hind. <laughs> de and uh but Grimms picked up a lot of their stories uh from the Gallic in in Scotland and they would translate them and then they turn them into their own. And there was a a story of Russian koti. uh They were split into two. The uh, Frog Prince was one of them And That had to be released in various stories because they gave that a very cruel ending the poor old frog uh, It it got censored. That's what it did They had to rewrite that and re-release it until they got a gentler story But the other story that was split from this uh, was that of uh, Cinderella And I think if you think of Cinderella, what do you think of? The fairy godmother Uh, so the fairy godmother Was really in the Scottish story was the hazel tree Beside the well the sacred hazel tree and she would in order to talk to her mother her passed away She had this horrible stepmother and stepsisters if uh, familiar with the story so she would retreat by the well uh, To talk to her mother because she believed she could talk to her mother through the water through the well And then there was that point, you know, we're talking about the well as a place for mating and uh, she had this uh, prince uh, that was looking for her of course and, uh, and she ha- wanted to go to the ball and it said the fairy godmother and the fairies they all made this dress for her. In the Scottish one that's translated it was said that the birds that lived in this hazel tree where it said her mother was living and she talked to her mother, they actually made her a dress out of the hazelnuts and their feathers. What it looked like I don't know but that's how the story goes. Now, I'm, uh, I have well run out of time, so I'm going to b- rush through the whole dowsing section here. Maybe I should make this as a separate one next time. But the thing with dowsing, we start thinking the tools, and it's just as well, perhaps... Uh, you know, we have tools. I've got these uh, rods here, and uh, they swing about. Uh, I'm not in... You know, because I'm broadcasting, uh, if I ask a question, if they cross over, uh, that could be... Uh, Yes or no, it depends how you purpose them to start with. So that's a tool, and I'm not gonna, I haven't got time to demonstrate that's good. That's a whole workshop thing, but I love the uh, pendulum and uh, with this uh, quite often. Uh, is this broadcast going well? <laughs> no, I'm just playing on that. But the one thing I want to bring, and I am rushing to emphasize, these are just merely tools, there's nothing magic. You don't if you you don't become a master dowser, and I'm going to talk, hopefully I'll talk about that, the master dowser. It's your intuition, it's your consciousness that does the talking. Those are the tools, are just verification of your consciousness. And the one thing about using dowsing is, I think, it really allows you to deny distractions. You're entirely in a state of meditation and mindfulness of your conscience and allow the conscience to bring your inspiration out, which I find is more truthful, more honest and more powerful than a book. But it needs a lot of trust these days because people trust in the books and the teachers much more than that inner voice that comes through the conscience. Now the one thing about dowsing it's not a skill or a craft to learn certainly to use the tools and it's well worth going to your lo- local divining dowsing uh, associations for their meetups great crack great social it's a hobby you all share why not but it's not a skill you know this is not a crafted skill everyone is a diviner everyone uh, is uh, a crafter it's about living by our gush, uh, gut feelings. Uh, in order for dowsing to work, and as I say, you don't need the tools. I find you can douse by just standing up. You know, if you, it's not good. I'll be out of the camera. But If you stand up, some people get a lovely technique that if they're asking questions, and uh, they can get answers by the body moving backwards and forwards or from side to side, if they're standing apart. That is as powerful as using the rods. Uh, and the pendulum. Some people find they get a technique with their eyelids and the blinking. The blinking is actually giving them uh, a guidance and a pathway. One thing is important for whatever choice of dowsing you do, you have to be in a sanctuary situation. It's a place where there's nobody is around. That is critical, uh, that it's got to be the space of just you. If you've got people around you, that uh, they're going to be uh, critical, pessimistic, they're going to be distracting even if they don't say anything, because you're going to pay attention to what they're saying or doing. You're not in sanctuary. You don't even want your dowsing and divination teachers around. When I've introduced this uh, labyrinth for people, I disappear because I don't want people watching me to see what uh, I'm going to be doing. So it's it's absolutely essential. And by saying this, uh, there's no such thing as a master or lady dowser, as a goddess dowser, no such thing. If anybody comes to you with courses that uh, says that their master dowser that you have to spend 10, 20 years before you can get up to their status that, uh, and their ability. That's demeaning, that's demoralizing. That is not you, that is not what you're born with. If someone approaches you with dowsing, with divination on that level, that is something that you have to go through an apprenticeship under them to do, walk away. What you need is really a mentor, uh, someone that encourages your dowsing abilities. And they are about. There are people that introduce people to divining and dowsing. They have workshops. And that's what they're doing. They're coaching everyone to be dowsers. They're not saying, "Mm, I am the big guru dowser. Just walk away from any of that. One very, very, very important thing with dowsing. is about questions and and divination. It's about questions... If you're looking for an answer, you're going into a control situation. You're going into an expectation situation. That's not what you want. You need questions, because questions are what brings about wonder. And once you're living with wonder, then you are on a vision quest. Wonder is a succession of visions. And as you follow those visions, they're working on the questions, revealing to you what it is you need to know and this is the wisdom and this is the whole crux the whole basis of dowsing divining and even the hazel tree and i'm going to close this very quickly after a long time by going to a book it's a uh, part of the almost tale of the trees in the bathing with the phase breath and uh with these uh we they set a music as well and uh, I know this is Claire's favourite when we do perform it because it was very unique when we put this together with other songs and other poems. Here, what would happen is I would have a poem, or Claire would have a tune. I would adjust a poem to fit a tune. Tune would uh, Claire would bring a tune to fit a poem, and so it was built up in almost like on uh, John and. and What's his name? I think it's Dick Turpin, Bernie Torpin. Uh, like they did. They they never got together, you know, they, uh, uh, Taupin would have the words, Elton would put to tune as a separate thing. But with this one, uh, with Cole Hazel, and I wish I could have time to tell you who Cole is, because that's fascinating. But in this one, it was organic, it came together. Um, I came up with a couple of lines. Claire went boom on the harp, and there was a bit of a melody. I come up with a couple more lines. Claire came up with more melody, I'm, and it's a shame we haven't got a proper YouTube of this. I do have a YouTube of of the first time we put the whole thing together. Very very rusty, but uh, it it's really sums up what I've rushed through with you this afternoon. This is uh, Cole Hazel, and I hope after this that you all go away and be diviners, be dowsers. Find your place of sanctuary. Even if you don't have any of the tools, you've still got your body, you've got your consciousness. Allow that question to flow. And don't even have a short soundbite of a question. Make it long, even a story. If you would like a woodland, ask if that woodland, uh, what type of soil you should have, what type of trees, what animals will come there. Be very descriptive. And uh, through your quest of this vision, all these things of your question will start coming out. You don't want to know, um, am I going to have pancakes tonight or something like that. Allow yourself to spread that question and you'll find yourself becoming diviners. But we're talking of talkers, I'm talking to the Uncle Cecil here. In a wise diviner's hand, the forked hazels stretched apart, feeling, sensing, what's beneath our vibrant land sensing the living waters carving an alignment chart of its flow from the divine earthly heart the hazel wand tracing the thread of the veil guiding the diviner's trust as it casts its spell we pass slowly silently through this dire veil, trusting Anticipating the old ways miracle of finding that point where the living waters becomes a well. Hazel is a mercurial spirit, a wise sprite, a bringer of insight, flashes of inspiration, invites us to discover many things. Entering into the dreaming within the forest, a hazel tree sang to me, Touch me with its fragrant fingers, stroking my dream, calming my dream, closing the wounds of blood that are clouded my dream. And that breathing air touched by the hazel, charged me with quicksilver energy, charging me to into exhilaration and inspiration. Hazel charge my spirit to pulsate, a catalyst, a transformer, a bard to relate, ways to crack any situation like cracking a hazelnut shell to feed from its nourishment inside. All that pure nourishment, pure goodness, pure knowledge in a nutshell, all of the ways of wisdom that we can pass on. And now, we can become the diviners, discovering our source of language, poetry, and music, of course. And mystics say that anyone born under the sign of the hazel must never hoard their treasure. Its nuts, the fruits of knowledge, must be shared for learning and for pleasure. So play with the thoughts and dreams of others, from social causes to capricious lovers. But be careful, word wizardry can cut. Remember, your wisdom is inspired by a nut. So that's Col Hazel. And thank you so much for staying with me if you have this whole time. The longest Sunday session we've done. Thanks for watching. Have a wonderful week. It looks in Ireland, it's going to be not a bad week.